It's Tuesday, January 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Motley Fool Chief Investment Officer Andy Cross, also of Motley Fool Hidden Gems fame, and we've got Matt Argersinger from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey. Hey, Mac. Glad to be here, Mac. Guys, let's get right to it. We've got lots of earnings news, and I want to start with Under Armour. Matty, the stock just getting shellacked on Tuesday, weaker than expected earnings, and the company announcing that its CFO was leaving because of personal reasons. Shellacked is, is definitely the right word. Uh, anytime you're, you know, you've guided for revenue growth of 20% and it comes in at 12%, and then you guide for the following year of growth of 11 to 12% when you're also expecting 20%, or at least the market's expecting 20%, it's not going to be a good day for your stock. Uh, and so when I look at Under Armour, you know, what we have to remember, this is still very much a retail story. In other words, about 60% of Under Armour's revenue still comes from wholesale sales to department stores, to sports retailers. And it's been a, it was a really bad holiday season for department stores and in-store retail sales. Uh, I looked at this report from Kiplinger that in-store sales for this past holiday were up just 1.4% uh, year-over-year, which is a pretty anemic growth rate for, uh, for retail sales. And so, and we also know that Obviously, traditional retail faces a lot of structural headwinds, and so anytime you have slower traffic to department stores, that's going to force a lot of promotional discounting. Uh, you know, retailers are trying to move a lot of inventory through, and what happened with Under Armour is that there was a lot of discounting. Kevin Plank at least thinks that a lot of Under Armour's brands sort of got shuffled in with every with the other competitor brands, a lot of discounting, not a lot of sell through, and therefore you see the results that we see today. And especially, we got to also remember that. About 85% of Under Armour sales still come from North America. They're growing great overseas, but North America was a really weak retail market, and that's what we see with the Under Armour's results. And we had some big retailers like Sports Authority go bankrupt over the last year. How much were they hurt by that, you think? I don't think that hurt a little bit, but I remember that was probably in the single digit percentage points. Yeah. They've kind of moved past that, but still, it's a factor. And I think Kevin Plank also mentioned on the conference call that they, they expected to get a lot of that volume back. That they necessarily didn't in the fourth quarter. You know, I thought I thought I thought the pollsters had a bad forecasting year with <laughs> Brexit and the U.S. election. But I got to say, Matt and I were talking about this before the show. It just seems like Under Armour missed the forecasting mark pretty dramatically here. I think we've been t- thinking about this retail shift that's shifts that that's been going on, and I just think that's just. When I think of Under Armour and this this kind of, of of a quarter, especially around the holiday sales and what they're looking out for 2017, you know they did miss the the mark. And I was just wondering if it's a consumer shift or if it's really just a a um, forecasting miss on their part. Right. Well, I, they back in October. So this is October. This isn't. This is right before getting into the holiday season. And they 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 were confident with their guidance. They thought they were going to have a good holiday season. Um, certainly guiding to 20% growth and. Yeah. We were kind of also talking about the show. Maybe this is why the CFO suddenly <laughs> is leaving. Maybe there was some, you know, just just sort of missing the picture, like you said, about yeah. what the retail environment really looks like. And taking a longer view, guys, um, Under Armour is a motley full recommendation. They've delivered 26 straight quarters of 20% or higher sales yeah. growth up until this most recent quarter. And shares have been a really market crusher over the last five and ten years, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean that's what you 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 from a growth investing perspective. Twenty percent sales, twenty percent revenue. I mean, those, those are beauty, and usually, typically, the market underestimates those. So, right. when you think about investors, typically, Peter Lynch has written about this: underestimate those true growers, those long-standing growth um, players. It's just that when it sours and when it goes south, 
investors tend to flee to ship pretty quickly and dramatically. And we got a couple of questions on Twitter from some longtime listeners. Brendan asking whether this is an overreaction or a real concern, and Sam asking whether this is a buying opportunity. Those are two great questions. Uh, I don't, I can't call it an overreaction because this is a pretty dramatic slowdown. We talked about consistent twenty percent growth. Now we're in the sort of low double digits. Uh, Andy, you had an interesting number. I think the, the two billion dollars in market value that Under Armour is losing this morning or today uh, is equivalent to what five? You said five years. Yeah, worth maybe of like four hundred million dollars in operating profits on four billion of sales. So, um, so yeah, so you're looking at about five years of, of operating profits. Out the window in in less than a day. But you also have to say that you know if if you were an investor and you were looking for this company to grow at a twenty percent rate for the next several years, it's a totally different tra- trajectory today going forward. And and the question is, can they get back to that growth? Um, they must if they want to justify the valuation on the stock, which is still was was high going in and is still actually relatively high even after losing you know twenty to twenty five percent in the stock uh, today. So. I don't think it's an overreaction. I it wouldn't. I don't feel like this is an opportunity where you say I'm I'm backing up the truck yeah. on this company. I think you have to be a little cautious. If you maybe if you had a small position, you're looking to add. This is, might be a great time. But I wouldn't be the person that says, "Oh, I, I've got to, I got to go in 10 percent of my portfolio in underwear today on this miss." You know. Also, part of this, Matt, I think is just. I mean, Kevin Plank was very honest about about the assessment. But when you look at what happened with Fitbit earlier this week, I mean, the whole idea of like cons- like consumables and the amount of investments that. That Under Armour has made into the wearable market. I mean, they spent—I mean, seven hundred billion dollars in the past couple of years, I think, in kind of buying and going into the technology field. Um, but concerns about like the athletic market, like how, what is the real growth potential behind that? And connected and fitness, connected Andy. fitness. But is that is that is it more of a trend? And so I think investors right. are rea- are pairing these all together and thinking about the retail space as well as the athletic space that Under Armour and Nike. Play into and wondering is the growth days are they especially in North America have they kind of slowed down? Well, let, let, let's talk about that um, as we wrap up this conversation. Uh, Matt Under Armour right now has a market cap of around nine billion and falling. Um, Nike has a market cap of around ninety billion. So we've got nine billion and ninety billion. If I'm an investor in Under Armour, or if I'm looking at this as a potential investment, should I be thinking of Under Armour as just an early stage Nike, or is that really kind of an apples and oranges comparison? It's a great question. I, I mean, I, I like <laughs> I like the comparison, and you know, in fact, uh, my team in MDP when we were uh, looking at Under Armour the past several months, we've uh, we've compared it to Nike, going looking at Nike as a public company over the last uh, several de- three three decades roughly, and it's interesting if you look at Nike's history. Nike would have periods where it's it's year on and year on the growth is 25, 30 percent, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they'll have a year where growth slows down to 10 percent or even falls, revenue even falls, uh, and you know you can go back and find it, kind of understand the explanation for it, uh, but in reality what you have is a, an interesting picture of a company that over the last 20 years has done exceptionally well for investors. Nike has. It's it's followed a very volatile trajectory. It's had years like this where all of a sudden 25% growth turned into 12% growth, uh, and so as 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 a long if you're a long-term shareholder in Under Armour, I think you can take confidence in that and say, you know what, maybe this is a company that's just going through some early growing pains. It can still be on that sort of 90 billion dollar future market cap trajectory like Nike. And let's not forget, Nike does most of their sales internationally. Under Armour does almost all, of the, as Matt said, 85% of the sales domestically. So, Under Armour has a lot of potential around the globe, which is that the margins there aren't quite as strong as they are in the U.S. 
Well, let's switch to another retailer. Andy Coach reporting better than expected earnings. Shares up on the news. North American same store sales for Coach rising three percent. Is this still all about handbags? Three percent. It's like yeah, great. But compared to where they were a few years ago, as Coach goes through their turnaround, the stock really has has dramatically underperformed. Sadly, over the last few years, and this is an investment we have in Stock Advisor and watch carefully. I, I'm I'm encouraged. I think I think we're seeing the turnaround come. Matt and Mac, and three um, percent does not sound like a lot. And yes, Mac, it is mostly hand- handbags. But Stuart Vivers, who's the new creative director, not new, he came in a couple of years ago, and Victor Luis, who's the who's the CEO, as a few years ago, as longtime CEO Lou Frankfurt stepped down. I really like what they're trying to do. Differently than what we're seeing in Under Armour, they're actually really pulling back on some of the discounting. They're trying to get that under control. They're trying to really rebrand the rebrand and rebuild rebuild the brand of Coach um, Stuart Vivers uh, from the creative side. Really trying to bring back the um, bring back the um, sex appeal to what Coach may be a little bit, Mac. And we're starting to see the uh, see it play out in, in the financials. And so while three percent doesn't sound Phenomenal compared to where they were. It's actually impressive, and importantly, it's the third consecutive quarter of of comp growth, which is what you really want to see from Coach. I, I like that point because if you go go back to Under Armour for a second, Kevin Plank on the conference call said, "You know, we really as Under Armour, we want to be perceived as a premium, full price brand. We don't want to be lumped into all the discounted brands yeah. that our competitors, you know, and, and compete on that level." And I think. That's what you want to see from Coach. I think for years they probably found themselves falling into that. We've got to discount these to move the you know move the inventory and things like that. And and that that does some long term damage to the customer yep. perception of the brand. Yeah. Uh, and so if Coach can rekindle that, that's a good. There's first a very step. interesting parallel, Matt, with Coach and Under Armour. Not to draw too much to it, but Coach really invented the kind of. Um, um, uh, handbag market that could serve yes at a, at a higher price point than what you may found, find elsewhere, but not nearly as high as what some women were paying for like Louis Vuitton or yeah. for Prada, Prada bags. Yeah. Um, so they really kind of, and especially in Japan, which is where they really had a lot of success early on. Lou Frankfurt built this, and they ran that up, and then they started seeing the, the, some of the pricing points. Michael Kors came in and started offering some very fierce competition. And then you started to see them get into the discounting game and started to see their discount stores take on more of a share than their than their um, high end stores, and I don't know if Under Armour is kind of in that spot right now because they basically created that performance athleisure wear. Ath- well, performance gear really. I mean, that was their yeah. heart and soul. Right. And um, so I, I there are a little bit of parallels. It's taken Coach a long time. To get back to where they were, and and there was some tough sledding for shareholders for many years, and now from where coaches, at, at at a little bit of a baseline and at 16 times earnings, I think your opportunity to make money in coach over the next few years is is much better than what it has been over the last couple of years. Well, what about the fashion market is so so fickle, and you were talking about their rebranding, Andy. One thing that Coach has done recently is they have signed uh, Selena Gomez. She's a pop singer, and they're really going after a younger market. Yep. Do you think Coach can pull that off? I think they can. I I think I think they couldn't before, but with the um, fresh uh, thinking that Stuart Vivers has brought in, the the creative director, as I mentioned, and, and Victor Louise, I, I think that they are bringing a perspective. The new 1941 handbags they they launched last year are starting to have some appeal. They're playing across higher price points that I mentioned, but also not foregoing the lower price points. There are rumors swirling around about Kate Spade on the market and whether Michael Kors or Coach will be will be bidding on Kate Spade. Um, they also bought uh, Stuart Weitzman shoes uh, last year for seven hundred million dollars, I believe, 
and that's that. That was actually that flat line was actually up twenty six percent last quarter. So you're starting to see Coach really take some a little bit more risks. They've moved away from what I think. Um, if you look at Coach four or five years ago, the kind of coach bags they had there, I think, just lost a little bit of their luster, a little bit of their appeal to the consumer, and they're starting to get back into more of those traditional lines and and a little bit more of hip with um, with Stewart, and and I like that. And and I was doing some research on their website um, this morning. They have actually some nice men's wallets from a hundred to two hundred dollars, and I compare that to my um, binder clips, which I use for my wallet. <laughs> and you can get a, a box of a hundred heavy duty binder clips for around four dollars. Yeah. So are I've, you in the market? Um, you know, I'm I'm going to stick with the binder clips for now. Do you go wallet or what's your? What's I, your... I have a, I have a well I have a wallet a, a business card holder that has become my wallet. Nice. So I don't know if it's a, that qualifies as a front wallet. pocket back pocket back pocket yeah. Really? Yeah. And you're sitting on it? Oh, no, I usually George I Costanza it style. I, I take it out. Ah, it's, that it's, just seems uncomfortable. There's never much in it. I, don't, I never have much cash anymore. It's, Dude, so my brother like pulled out his wallet the other night, and it was like George Costanza. And I was like, "What do you What do you got in there?" He yeah, started pulling. Then he pulled out his glasses and put them on. Like, Andy, what do you do? Starbucks I, receipt I, I from I five years wallet. ago. I, I was not, but my wife bought me a wallet that has my initials on it, so I feel like I'm obligated to use it as one of those thin ones. Ah. And I rotate between the front and the back. I gotta say, in the front, it's not quite as I know. Like, Kind of, it looks a little not as attractive. Give, the, <laughs> so, give, give yeah. the binder clip a shot. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's better than the money clip. Money clips get stretched. Yeah. You can buy these, you know, buy in bulk. Yeah. You know, 100 yeah. for four bucks. Four so, bucks. You know, yeah. yeah. I don't four, think, I don't four think cents, coach. Four cents a binder clip probably lasts yeah. for years. But something tells me I'm not coach's target market. Yeah. You think that's fair? Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Okay. But I think as we'll find out in the next segment, segment, I, I don't know if we'll be carrying money clips either in the next few years. So. Well, that is a good segue um, to our final story. MasterCard reporting better than expected earnings. Um, shares dipping a little on Tuesday. Matt, this stock, when you look at the one-year chart, the five-year chart, the 10-year chart, Doesn't matter. It, it just crushes the market. It's like they're just throwing all sorts of money at investors, um, and it's up around twenty percent over the past year. It, it, it right. We, we've had we've actually had Mastercard on our watch list in uh, MDP for I think almost since the beginning, or, or for a couple of years since my team took over MDP. We should have bought it. It was stupid for us not to because <laughs> we're always waiting for a good price or what we think is a good price in Mastercard. But there really is never a bad time to buy it. It's a company that just produces dramatic uh, cash flows, consistent growth, and. It's a story, as Andy alluded to, the, the the story away from cash, the trend away from cash to cashless transactions to credit card use, especially outside of the United States, is just unrelenting. And and you have Mastercard, Visa, and American Express, of course, the big brands. Uh, Visa is bigger than Mastercard, but Mastercard's growing a little faster. It, I think the results, I think the results were as solid as usual. I think the stock's down a little bit because. Um, the, the the strong U.S. dollar, which we've seen over the last few months, is hurting them a little bit because they're seeing a lot more of their growth outside the U.S. And so, when you see the euro and the pound just getting smashed <laughs> the last three months or so, um, that's going to hurt their results a little bit. But uh, otherwise, this is a machine. I I really don't know why you wouldn't buy it at any price. I mean, it's a business that's growing at least two times faster than global GDP, um, two or three times. On the top line, and then there there's so little reinvestment needs. They generate. Five billion dollars in operating, four or five billion dollars in operating cash flow every year, and they spend 300, 300 to four hundred million on capital expenditures and, and software, and the rest they just buy back stocks. They bought back three and a half billion last year. Mm. They bought back one point one billion dollars last quarter. So it's just one of those compounding machines uh, that continues to hum along into a market that is shifting. And I think dramatically over the. I think I think we've seen a little bit of a, the S curve come, and we're going to start seeing more and more adoption. 
um, four out of five transactions around the globe are still in cash. So as the adoption grows to more electronic commerce, and MasterCard takes a little a little nibble of all those transactions. Last year, Mac, they did four point almost five trillion dollars of transa- of gross dollar transactions across their platforms. <laughs> That's about a third the size of the U.S. GDP. That's a lot. That sounds like. And a they lot. just take a little nibble of that, and that 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 network. Visa's network, they're extremely stable and they're hard to break into. Now, you do find some regulatory concerns around the globe when you have that amount of market share and that locked in cost and whether the pricing is a little too high and even one or two percent of the transactions, they start sometimes facing some some concerns about regulatory concerns. But really, Mac, it's 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 a machine and it's not the stock is not not expensive and you're gonna find consistent growth and investors like that like us. And how often do you guys use cash these days? Because I, I very rarely use cash. I can carry the same twenty for like a week or two. I was just well we, yeah, I was thinking before the show when we were talking about it. I think the last the only time I pay cash is when I go to my barber. I, I have a barber in my neighborhood yeah. that I go to and <laughs> yeah. it's because he, he he takes credit cards but he, he prefers cash so I just give him cash but that's literally the only time I ever go to the ATM. Me too. Dude. I went to I went to 7-Eleven instead of Starbucks this morning and I you, I paid for my coffee with cash and I got it was just such an odd experience. I pulled out the cash from my from my wallet and I <laughs> yeah, gave it and the guy experience. dug through his his cash register and gave me change. Yeah. And I was like I, I don't know, it was just it was just like And then what do you do with the, the change? Cash. Right, exactly. Uh, I looked for something to like donate it into like, you know, like they donate to like yeah. you know the the you know animals or whatever yeah. it might be and I, I you yeah. know some kids fun and they didn't have it so I just stuck in my pocket I'm like what am I going to do with this my daughter will find it and probably swallow it to the point about mastercard sort of growing overseas and the point that four out of five transactions globally are still in cash I, I spent the fall in Berlin where it's just you always use cash. It's just you're you're expected to use cash, and they look they look at you funny if you're at a restaurant yeah. and you hand you say I want to pay with credit card. You have to tell them because they have to go get a special machine yeah. to bring it over yeah. to the de- table. It's just it's a crazy phenomenon, but it's it's amazing how accustomed we are in the U.S. to not using cash. Yeah. Yet in Europe, of all places, where you think it's you think it was just as advanced as we are, no, they're still using cash probably ninety percent of the time. Yeah, I mean mobile payments, as um, we've talked about many times before, is just a is a growth market. There are a lot of players in in there. Uh, Mastercard and, and Visa um, tied to it certainly, but obviously Apple Pay and PayPal, all all, all players in there. It is just going to be a, a growth market. Very interesting to see how Bitcoin plays all into this mm. and and the blockchain technology um, when it comes to transactions. But I, I think Mastercard and Visa too, both recommendations of ours, will continue to do well in that space for many years to come. Okay, well, we will end it there. Matt and Andy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. Great job. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.